listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. What an amazing time of worship. I just want to say, um, I want to thank her up as a child, uh, the body of believers stirring each, up, stirring each other up for, to love and that's really what they've done. If you could, I mean, it's, it's a praise to God, but we want to also thank them for their heart. So if you could please give it up for Angelica and Jeff. <laughs> truly, truly thank you because um, it's just amazing to see, like, we all want to help and we all care about things. And then sometimes we just think that what can we do? And, and what you heard, what Z was trying to put into words, what Carlos was trying to put into words, what Angelica was trying to put into words is that if it, catches us, it catches us off guard when, when we actually go, when we actually in faith step into the action of being there for others and we actually see how needed we are, it catches you off guard. Because we always think, well, what can I do? I need more money. I need more time. What can I do? All we did was take one, sun, one Saturday. We've, we've been planning for months, and we were caught off guard in a good way. It just shocked us to our very core that just by playing instruments, bringing food, being with them, showing that we cared, they were touched. They were blessed through the donations that you guys made. They were blessed. And that's, it, it just, it, it really challenges your presuppositions about how you can be, uh, how you can make a difference. And, and, and I, I want to make sure that I say something. Uh, maybe you're even afraid to do it. Carlos was afraid. I'll say this. Uh, so I always joke with Carlos about this. I always say Carlos has seen Sicario way too much. Um, Carlos really had a vision of what it was to cross into Mexico, which... I'm glad that stereotype was washed out. <laughs> he was like, we're in a Yukon. They're going to come gun us down. You know, like he, he thought the worst. And then he realized that Tijuana is a lot like Puerto Rico, like where we come from. <laughs> a lot like Puerto Rico. So um, it was awesome. And so all of our expectations were blown out of the water, water in such a good way. Um, it is true, though, like following Teresa is really hard. She was driving like really, <laughs> like she was in Sicario. It was amazing <laughs> how she was driving. Um, I joke, Puerto Ricans drive like that, too. It's okay. <laughs> um, yes, I should have driven, yeah. Um, what I'll say is um, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're in the series Resolved, and I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost going a little bit off script here because uh, being resolved to do things is, is, is a lot of times against the grain of our sinful nature and it's uncomfortable, but I don't think it's a coincidence that this happened during the series Resolved. So keep an open heart about it. You can make such an amazing difference um, and you're going to feel good about it. Uh, be resolved to be part of this long-term effort to help Es Por Los Niños. We will be back frequently. Um, so we are in, in week two of this series called Resolved, Prepared for the Battle. Let me give you a quick, a quick description of the series. Uh, the description says on, on our social media, we all have experienced the frustration of wanting to be a good person while still making bad decisions. Our resolve seems shaky and can even disappear when trials and distractions come our way. But there is hope 
Our goal in this series is to unpack the key to being resolved. And so Pastor Jason kicked off week one by talking to us about why we can't be resolved, or a little more specifically, why we fail at our resolve, in our resolutions, why we fail. He talked about how the the flesh and the spirit are at war, as Romans 7 and Galatians 5 talk about. There's this constant uh, pull between the Holy Spirit who is pushing us in in this godly direction and the flesh within us that's just distracting us and pushing us to other things. There's this constant pull, and that's why we need to be resolved, but that's also why we fail at it. Because when we have these moral resolutions, we obviously attribute a lot of importance to moral resolutions, and then when we fail at them, we feel horrible. (laughs) And when we read Paul's description in Romans 7, as Pastor Jason did last week, we can see that it's agonizing. We have these moral resolutions we're going to be a better person, a better man, a better woman. And, and what we find out is that we fail at our very own goals. And when it's a diet, it's not that important. Like, I'm, I'm trying to eat less carbs, but when I go to In-N-Out, you know, they toast the bun. I mean, come on. Like, I got to do it. I can't just... Chris is raising his hands. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they toast the bun. Like, I can't do the lettuce wrap thing. Like, I mean, I've tried it, but... But thankfully, yeah, my wife... She's very resolved for health stuff, so she, said I, she says I should, and she's right. But here's the thing. When it's moral, it's, it's obviously a lot more impacting on our emotional health, on our spiritual um, health. So week two, after Pastor Jason talked about why we fail to be resolved, today, week two, we're going to talk about why should we be resolved if we fail anyway. What's the point to be resolved to be a certain type of person, a certain type of godly person, striving to be holier. Why should we even bother if we fail consistently? Matthew 5, 4, 8, this is not going to be on the screen. Jesus calls us to something that from from the very start seems impossible. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Forget carbs, like that's impossible. (laughs) I can't be perfect as my father in heaven is perfect. Are you kidding? That's, there's, there's no way I should even try that. Why should I be resolved? This is impossible. Why should I even aspire to it? And, and, and here's the first key reason, because God promises to empower you. God promises to empower you. Understand He is not asking us to be perfect on our own merits. You're right. You will fail at that. But he's asking us to partner with him so that he could empower us to be holier and holier day by day. This is profoundly different because what's impossible for me is infinitely possible for God. God can do the impossible. He can be holy and he can mold me into holiness. He promises to do that. I have to seek to walk in these promises. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4, through 4, Peter talks to us about this very thing, the fact that we should seek to walk in this holiness, confirm our calling, because he's promised that he will help you. He didn't say, try to be holy, you're on your own, I'm waiting over here for you to reach my status. 
He's partnering with us. He is promising to make you holier. That doesn't mean you won't make mistakes along the way, but it means he will empower you little by little should you choose to resolve. In verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. All right, we're gonna keep that passage on screen and let's unpack a few concepts as we read it from it. It says that everything necessary to life and godliness is given to you by his power. Not your merit, not your sufficiency, but by his power, by his supernatural, infinite, God-creating of the universe power. By that power, he will give you everything necessary to live a godly life. That's the first thing we take away from verse 3. The second thing it says is that this provision is through the knowledge of Jesus and the knowledge of his promises. So first, he empowers us, divinely empowered, but second, that empowerment happens through knowledge of him and his promises, knowledge of his character, of his person, of his love to you, and what he's secured for you. It's that knowledge of him and his promises. That's how it happens. The provision is through that knowledge of him and his promises. Very quickly, as that, as that passage stays on screen, I'm just going to give you a few of the promises of Jesus that we are guaranteed as believers that are present in the Bible. One of them, Pastor Jason was talking about in Acts 2, quoting Joel 2, Uh, We are told, Peter says, that we will receive the Holy Spirit and everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Promise. We will be empowered, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In 1 John 3, 2, we're told by John that we, at some point, not yet, will be like Jesus. Again, that seems impossible to me, to try to be like Jesus, but by his empowerment, by his creating of the universe power. By that power, I can be holy. By his power that caused resurrection from the dead to be a possibility. By that power, I can be like him someday. It says it in 1 John 3, 2. We're not like him yet, but you shall be like him because we shall see him as he is when that moment comes. Another thing we are promised 2 Peter 3, 4 tells us we are promised his return. Jesus is coming back. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, uh, we're told, um, or rather, excuse me, in, yes, in 1 Peter chapters 1, 3 through 5, we're told that we uh, have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by, again, God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. These are all guarantees. And the whole point, as you keep this passage right there, the whole point is to make us like Christ. The promises are helping us acquire divine Christ-likeness. 
divine Christ-likeness. As Christians, we forget because of grace that this is what we're actually called to. And more importantly, that it's even possible. But the whole point is to be like him. When we read this passage, it says that it's granting to us all things pertaining to godliness. But then towards the end, it says, so that through these promises, through this knowledge of Jesus, it says, you may become partakers, participants of the divine nature of Jesus. You will slowly but surely, as you hold on to his promises and the knowledge of who he is, will become a partaker of that divine nature. It doesn't mean that you're going to be God. It means you're going to be as holy as Jesus and that you're walking towards that holiness because you're not there yet. This is powerful stuff because I think sometimes we forget that this is the image we're called to being like Christ, divine partakers. It's hard to conceive of because we always think of our efforts. And yes, our efforts are skewed, our efforts are sinful, and we will fail along the way. But it's, it's a goal that we're striving towards and Jesus has promised that we will make it. He will make it. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. He will make it possible. He will bring you to the finish line. He will sanctify any remaining sin the moment you're to meet him. Anything remaining in you that you've been trying to defeat. He will sanctify you. He will make you new. He, he is molding you into this beautiful workmanship of his to do great works like going to us por los niños, but also to defeat the sins that agonize us, to defeat the envy that we struggle with at work, to defeat the anxiety that we struggle with in life, to defeat all of the insecurities that we have in this social media-driven life, in this likability society where we have to receive approval from people. He's promised to defeat this as we hold on to his promises. We must hold on to his promises. We must look for his promises in his word. This whole process, at the end of this verse, it says, the whole process frees us from the sinful desires onto godly desires. It's implicit. Because it seems to say that what we escaped when we became like Christ, if you read that whole thing, what we are escaping by becoming like Christ is the corruption in the world because of sinful desire. It's not that desire is sinful in general. It's that there is desire that is sinful, some of it. So as I hold on to Christ and I partake in his holiness through his promises, I slowly leave sinful desires and embrace godly desires, Jesus-like desires. Second reason that we should be resolved to be holier. The second reason is God promises happiness through fruitful resolve. And this is something we often don't associate with holiness. God promises happiness through fruitful resolve. Our sinful nature makes us think that in becoming more like Christ, life gets more boring. It makes us think that we're going to be less happy because we're letting go of the sinful desires. But remember, now we're receiving godly desires because we are escaping, as that passage said, sinful desires. So now we are getting godlike desires. God promises happiness through fruitful resolve. 
This is everywhere in the Bible. Jesus says it in John chapter 15. That passage where he talks about the vine and the branches, where he talks about abiding in him. He makes a subtle but obvious connection through the obedience to him and having fullness of joy. He gives us the key to happiness. (laughs) He says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And here's the secret to happiness. Verse 11 These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Obedience is happiness. When it's empowered by God, again, because we can't obey the way Jesus obeys the Father. We can't. We need him. So we've seen two reasons thus far. Keep that in mind as we slowly go through this second uh, reason. The second reason is God promises happiness through fruitful resolve. And we've seen Jesus explaining that. But it's not only in the New Testament. It's all over the book of Psalms. All over the book of Psalms. In Psalm 19, verses 9 through 11, we are told precisely that the law of God is precious to us. That it really, truly is sweeter than anything else. See, at the end of verse 9 in Psalm 19, it says that the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then it moves on to verses 10 and 11. It says, about these rules, about the rules of God, about the law of God, they are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That's not like drudging obedience, like I have to do this, I have to do this. This is joyful obedience because you've escaped sinful desire through his promises. Now you have joyful obedience You're becoming more like Christ. You're having, as John 15 said, the fullness of his joy, not your old joy in sinful desire. In verse 11, it says, moreover, by them as your servant warned, moreover, by them is your servant warned, excuse me, in keeping them, there is great reward. Not only does it give us current happiness, but when life puts trials and temptations in our way, we can look to the future eternal happiness of being in his presence. So it gives us happiness now in the midst of circumstance, but it promises a greater and future happiness despite the suffering of the world. The gospel is not mum on the suffering of the world. The gospel says there is suffering in the world and for now you look to the promises of God. You're empowered by them. You become holier. You become happier like Jesus is and you look to the full eternal happiness that you will have when you are in his presence like him, staring at him because he's made you to be just like him. That's the future promise that we can bank on. That's the future joy that we can bank on as we strive through the life and temptations and circumstances that are in our life currently. This is powerful because, again, you must understand, without bullet point one, bullet point two doesn't make sense. If I'm not promised that I can obey through his empowerment, trying to obey will make me unhappy. Without Jesus, I will not find happiness in obedience because I can't obey without Jesus. If you don't know Jesus yet and you haven't given you, surrendered your life to him, 
you don't have that power yet. And sinful desire will keep you away from true happiness. It'll be a fleeting pleasure, the Bible says on numerous occasions, including Hebrews 11. It says fleeting pleasures. They're not sustainable. They're not substance. Sinful desires aren't sufficient. But if I bank on his promises from becoming a believer, now I'm his. He gives me the power. And now obedience leads to joy. Obedience is the key to happiness. Obedience that's based on the work he has done, not me. Make no mistake. We must clarify this. You're not banking on your efforts to obey God, his efforts, his security, his salvation, and now you walk in happiness obeying him. Do you make mistakes? Yes. But you want to be holier. You want to become more like Jesus. You want to be a divine partaker. That's what we want to do to seek our happiness. So we've seen two reasons, two reasons why we should be resolved, even though being resolved frustrates us. The first reason was God promised to empower you. The second reason is God promises happiness through resolve, through fruitful resolve. But I think the most important reason is the third one. We should be resolved because Jesus made us his own now we resolve to, t- to walk in holiness because Jesus has made me his own with that affection, that love. I now resolve to walk in holiness despite how I may fail. At the end of it all, obedience is an affection-driven endeavor. It is not based on religiosity. Jesus broke religion. He tore the veil. He made a way. Jesus is telling us that now religion is left behind, but now it's, when I follow Jesus, it's affection-driven. Otherwise, why does he keep telling us that we must love him above all? He doesn't want your actions. He wants your heart. That's something that the pastor yesterday at Espor Los Niños was talking about. He wants your affection. He doesn't want your actions. Actions follow affections. Obedience follows affections. He wants your love because he loved you first. He loved you first. This is the primary motivation to obedience. It's to love back. When someone that I love does something awesome for me, my response is, man, I want to do something awesome for them. They showed their love for me and I love them too. I appreciate that. Paul makes this very clear in one verse in Philippians chapter 3. It's verse 12. He's talking about perfection, about trying to be perfect, striving to be perfect. And after talking about this, about striving to to continue this uh, endeavor of being more like Christ, he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am I already perfect? I ain't but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I respond to this act of love. Jesus has secured my salvation. If I've truly repented and believe and strive to walk daily with Jesus Christ, and I'm trying to to be more like him, this means I have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit as a believer And I am secured. The Bible says I'm sealed. So my natural response should be, 
I'm going to make that holiness my own because Jesus made me his own. Because he loves you so much that despite the sin and shame of our lives, despite the sin and shame in my life right now and the one I'll commit later, he died for me. And because of that, I just, my affection is stirred up in my heart to go and do something amazing for him, to be resolved. Just like I said, Jeff and Angelica stirred us up as a church to care for this people, to care for this organization as Por Los Niños. Jesus stirs me up. He stirs you up because of what he did for you. He's secured you. You are his own. I had to change this bullet point. James, if you could go back to that bullet point because Jesus made us his own. I had written it a little more theologically, but I want us to understand that it is personal. Jesus made us his own, so we resolved to live for him. Originally, I had written, resolve to being holy does not make me holy, but being declared holy gives me resolve to walk in holiness. Blech. Totally misses affection. <laughs> Totally misses affection. Jesus is saying, I did the inconceivable for you. A God that's perfect dying for a sinner. Will you try the impossible for me? I'll get you to the finish line if you actually just decide to run. That's what he's calling us. Again, he, he's saying to us, I did what no one ever would have expected. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, says how petty it is of a God to die for your sins. How petty. No, not how petty. How beautiful. He did the, what atheists think are, is inconceivable of a God. All he wants us is to try the impossible because he will make it possible. So walk in obedience. Seek it. Though you may fail, you are his. And say like Paul, not that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because I'm his. I am yours and you are mine. That's affection. Obedience driven by love, not by religion. As the band comes up, I remind you of these three reasons. God promises to empower you to be resolved in your walk. Number two, God promises happiness through that resolve. And number three, that happiness hinges on the fact that you're just seeking to love him back. You're trying to love him back because of what he did for you. And there's nothing you could ever do to repay him. But what you can do is live a life for him. Let's pray. Father, we, we humbly Thank you because you have secured it for us. You've saved us. You broke religions back. The mentality of I try to be perfect to seek God's approval, you broke it. Rather, you declared us holy and now we just want to live for you because you've captivated our affections, our love. May we be a people that seeks to resolve towards obedience. May we be resolved in our obedience, even in the areas we struggle with. Whether it's self-image, whether it's how I look to others, whether it's pornography, whether it's lust, whether it's anger issues, whether it's whatever it is that you may name, hate, anger, resentment, whatever it is, may we resolve to be more obedient as 
an affection reaction towards the love that you've showed us. And may we find the happiness you promised through that resolve. And may we see the fruit of your promise to empower us in that resolve. We pray that, Lord, with faith and with honesty and authenticity, recognizing we can't on our own. As the ushers come forth, I pray that that giving and tithing would be, as your word says, not something that we do out of religious obligation, but that we would do this as Uh, that we would do this simply to seek to give back out of the abundance of a cheerful giver that is thankful for what you have done for us. Again, as, as those offerings are getting ready to be done, Lord, again, that it would not be compulsive, that it would not be something that's based on religion, but a reaction of affection towards you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.